Welcome to the Swim Swam Breakdown. As always, I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, coming to you from Austin, Texas. We are joined today by Swim Swam Editor-in-Chief Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Swim Swam writer Yin Yin Lee from Madison, New Jersey. Coleman, if you were a class of 2024 recruit, who is the first coach's call you would take? Well, after watching today's practice and pancakes with Olympic coach Dave Durden at the University of California, Berkeley, uh, I gotta go with Mr. Durden. He watching watching that Friday afternoon practice last week, uh, where they're doing 15 meter power efforts. He he brings the energy like like no one else, and uh, that was exciting for me to watch in person. And I would take that phone call in a heartbeat. Imagine being on deck as an athlete every day with Durden and Marsh getting going. <laughs> I mean, some you know, there's a lot of great coaches in that con- in the country, but I don't know if there's a one-two punch quite like Durden and Marsh. Certainly not on paper. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Oh yeah, yeah, I would pick Todd Desorbo because I want to experience the Desorbo watch and have my confidence boosted by his times for me, which are not would are not very fast. I also want to see. <laughs> If Kate Douglas can beat me in a 53, if I have a 20-second head start, she probably can, honestly. I, For context, I don't swim. The one time I swam a 100 free was freshman year of high school. I went a 230. So I think she can beat me with a 20-second head start, but I'm Man, not sure. Man, Indian outing herself. I love it. You, you'd be guaranteed best times under Todd DeSorbo, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> guarantee. <laughs> that is a DeSorbo guarantee. Let's dive into college swimming. First of all, SMU Classic up in Dallas. It's it's a cool meet format. You have six teams, six lanes, two heats. Each team gets a lane, and then it's scored as such with the A final getting to score, score a certain amount, and the B final getting to score a certain amount. You have to be strategic. Each team is only allowed, I believe it's eight swimmers and one diver, uh, or it's seven swimmers and one diver whichever texas men won on the men's side and uh usc walked away with the w on the women's side what intrigued you most about this s this year's smu classic to me the the big takeaway you know we can only take away so much from an early october meet but the big takeaway is that the michigan women are better than we've been led to believe right there's a lot of sort of stress around the Michigan program with lots of transfers on both the men's and the women's side. Um, And I I still think the men are in a little bit of trouble, but the women picked up quite a few wins here. Um, They had some swimmers look good. Catherine Ackerman looked good. Katie Crum had won the two fly and 156.7, which is a great October swim. So I think the, the death of the Michigan Wolverines has been greatly exaggerated. Lots of challenges over the last year and a half for Michigan, um, but on the women's side, at least, I think they they came through and swam really well. So that left the biggest impression on me. I'm going to stick with the under the radar theme here. And I'm going to say that the Texas A&M men really impressed me. They won two relays on the last two days, beat, beat Texas. Baylor Nelson and Connor Foote, who are two of the top 20 ranked swimmers in the high school class of 2022, they both had really good swims. Baylor Nelson dropped two seconds in the 200 free B final. And he also went a near best time in the 200 IM and though, and the 200 IM is his best event. And 
to be nearing his best time in October, I think that's a pretty good sign. And I think we could see a breakout year for him. But on the other hand, I did think the Texas men, obviously besides Carson Foster's swims and Casper Corbeau, Jake Foster had a few good swims. I think their relays, especially on the last day, we knew they had a sprinting problem coming in. But I think this their performances getting third to Missouri and Texas A&M in the 200 medley relay. And then same thing, 200 free relay. I, that sort of surprised me that they would, that they would be that behind. And I think it goes to show that maybe they don't, maybe there's like something going on. Well, imagine getting a 19 0 split from your breaststroker in October and finishing third in a 200 free relay in a 16 meet. Um, you know, that's what surprised me. They they still have a few stars, but outside of that, especially with the the news we reported late last week that there are it looks like five guys who already have left the program for one reason or another this season. Um, you know, Texas, they win a lot of NCAA titles. Eddie Reese, great coach, great recruiter. But I think their overwhelming talent has sort of covered up for a few cracks in the in the seams over the last few years. Um, you know, use, losing their big diver Jordan Wendell when he was suspended for some safe sport issues last year um, exposed some things in the diving program. Um, you know, Tim Connery freshman year didn't have a great year. Anthony Grimm is done top recruit. Everybody expected the world of him. Ethan Heasley, very good swimmer, all American. Um, you know, they're they're losing guys and they aren't the next the next guy up isn't good enough, you know, isn't good enough, I don't think, to sustain the run that they've had. Um, you know, one person close to the program, I won't say who, described it to me as it feels like the, the some of the Texas guys think that just being at Texas is good enough, just showing up and being at Texas is good enough, whereas Cal, mostly because of their lack of divers, always see themselves as, a, as an underdog. They always see themselves as having to make up 60 points against Texas and they have to fight and, and claw and scrap. Um, and it, it feels like maybe that's catching up to the Longhorns a little bit. Yeah, I think with Texas, it's like, there's going to be that one day where the death runs out. And I was looking at Texas's times for the 100 back and the 100 flights. Like, oh, Akinahi was the fastest 100 backstroke last year. Oh, he's gone. Alvin Jung's the next fastest. Oh, he's gone as well. And now Grimm is gone. And now they're down to Ethan Harder, who's the fourth fastest on the Texas roster last year. And he he's going to jump from the fourth fastest to the fastest, well, Carson Foster went faster but I'm talking about from last year's times he's gonna go he's jumping from fourth on the depth chart to first on the depth chart and it's just they just had so much depth and it's all running out now and same with the 100 fly like Alvin Young is no longer there Grimm is no longer there and I don't really know what's going on with Zach Van Zant if he's going to stay. And if he leaves, that's going to also going to be a major blow. As we say all this, they just got the a commitment from the number two swimmer in the class of 2024, Cooper Lucas. So, you know, this is not the end of Texas as we know it, right? Texas will always be a powerhouse program. If Texas never finishes outside of the top five at NCAAs ever again, like that wouldn't be a surprise. Um, but I think this is the start, you know, Eddie's got to be retired soon, right? Like, 
I know Texas people get mad if you pretend like Eddie Reese is ever going to retire, but he already did it once and he's back on year two post-retirement. He's going to retire soon. Um, Florida with what happened with Steve Youngbluff maybe has taken a bite out of their momentum. But to me, this feels like the opportunity for an NC state or a Louisville or a Florida to, to climb into that top two alongside Cal. We've been talking about that all off season, whether or not it's time for that. And maybe, maybe it is time, you know, with, with these losses, that's, it's just a little bit closer, right? Shrinking that gap. I'm a little curious about the other team in Texas. Do you, after Baylor Nelson's performances this uh, past weekend, he was 143-3 in the two IM, 134 in the tuner free, 157 in the tuner breast, split 19 on the tuner free relay. Do you f- feel like he could be sort of a Shane Casas athlete that, that kind of pulls Texas A&M up by the reins and brings them back into you know, I don't know, top 10, top eight status, maybe beating Texas in the occasional dual meet. Yeah, I mean, that. I'm sure that's the vision that they sold him on, right? Like when they brought him in, they said, you are Shane Casas 2.0, maybe maybe a little more 4IM than 2IM, but essentially they said, look what we did with Shane. Your times are better than his times were coming out of high school. Imagine what we're going to do for you. And, and, you know, he's not it, right? Like Counterfoot, as Union said, swam um, really well as a freshman. They, they have a few seniors, a few juniors, just, you know, they don't have great depth either. Although, you know, Ethan Gogolski beat Texas's backstroker in the 400 medley relay by a second. So like they have the 46 again, 46, two is a good time for now. So I think A&M is probably the good comparison would be like Louisville from six or seven years ago, right? Where they're starting to get this tight little nucleus or, or maybe Indiana from 2009, starting to get this tight little nucleus together where we're going to start to see some top five NCAA relays parlay off of that. Um, I think it's clear at this point that Jason Kalanog knows what the heck he's doing. I'd love to see more than one team compete. I am a Texas A&M alumni. Um, I don't have any particularly strong feelings towards the program for any reason other than anybody else would. Um, But I would love to see more competition in the state of Texas. And I think SMU is getting better. I think A&M is getting better. Um, And I think all of that is good for the sport in a state where there are so many swimmers. Well, they have good divers as well. I yes. know on the women's side, they got a bunch of good divers yep. and they had a That, that was at NCAAs when their diver beat um, Andrew Capobianco yeah. and extra police had to be called in because Andrew Capobianco's parents were not happy with the judging. Oh, did not know that, but I did know that he beat Andrew Capobianco. Do you think they do have the momentum in diving, especially on they, they got a lot of women's diving recruits and i think that momentum can shift onto the men's side as well moving on in more college swimming news maggie mcneil dropped the fastest 100 fly we've ever seen from an unsuited swimmer 50.8 is does this give maggie like the lock for 100 fly victory 43 percent of our audience thought that she is going to win this event at nc2a's in 2023 is it is it done now is, is she the uh hands down favorite heading into it I don't think she's the hands-down favorite. Yes, it's easy to say that after you see 50.8 unsuited. Like, obviously, that's insane. But we have to remember, K- 
Kate Douglas, Claire Curzan, and Tori Husk have not swam the 100 fly at all this season. We don't know what they're capable of. And even with the context that Maggie is the fastest ever, they're still not that far off of her. And I do think, especially Husk and Curzan, they're still relatively new to the college scene. And I think they have a ceiling that's potentially higher than Maggie's. And I just don't think that's that swim makes her a lock just because we really only have her data points. We don't have the data points of her main competitors. I think you're wrong. I think it absolutely makes her a lock. We make, you know, Maggie McNeil, we know she swims fast in season. So we can't say, oh, she's a second faster than Tori Husk at this point of the year. She's going to win by a second. But I think what we're learning is that Maggie McNeil is back to being Maggie McNeil. Whatever happened last year um, at Michigan, you know, is whatever happened last year at Michigan. But she's back with Rick Bishop now. And this just feels like Maggie McNeil of old. We have to remember, she is still the fastest swimmer ever in this event. And in those seasons where she became the fastest swimmer ever, she wasn't doing this in October. She wasn't swimming 50.8s in no tech suit in October. So as long as Rick does what he knows works for Maggie, doesn't get cute trying to, I, I guess I could see him get stars in his eyes and saying, Oh, what if we go 47 and, and try to change something to chase a crazy time. But as long as he just does what he knows Maggie needs to do, I think this is her race at this point. I mean, but how much better is when you say Maggie McNeil's better back to being Maggie McNeil? How much better is that version of Maggie McNeil than, let's say, Kate Douglas or Tori Husk? Like, at I least do th- one one hundredth better. Yeah, but one one hundredth is that is that that's enough a, that's to a make win. her a lot? Yes, that that's enough to win the NCAA title. I feel like the other data point we have here is Siobhan Howie, right? Because she is also a Rick Bishop has been training with Rick Bisham consistently for quite a while, and she's just continued to get better and better and better. Haven't seen her swim in short course yards since she competed in the NCAA, but short course meters as well as long course meters, she's just continued to evolve. And if if Rick can you you know you use whatever he's doing in, in the same way and kind of pass maybe pass on that mentality of evolution as well to Maggie. It's looking you know, scary I, for those other women. I'd love to have you get down to, to Baton Rouge and get a little uh, practice footage and figure out exactly what Rick Bishop is doing with these swimmers. Because all of his swimmers, well, I don't know, all of his swimmers, Maggie and Siobhan swim really fast in season, right? And it doesn't seem to hurt them at the end of the season, um, which is kind of Distorbo-esque. So I'd be curious to sort of see a a compare and contrast of how those two coaches are training their athletes and if they're doing it the same way. Because whatever they're doing is working on a lot of fronts. It's exciting in October and it's exciting in March. Um, And so if they've they've struck on something and we've now got two case studies on the same thing, I'd love to, to know what that is. Yeah, I definitely, oh, I definitely think that they're changing the whole mindset that you have, you can only suit up or like go all out at certain meets. You need to save up everything for that one mid-season or championship meet. But these, but Mag McNeil and the UVA swimmers, they're going these fast times in season constantly. 
and yet they're still performing better than anyone else who's only suiting up or only taking certain meats seriously. Here's what's interesting, though, right? Maggie didn't suit up. And remember when uh, Gretchen was having trouble going best times? What did they do? They took away her suit until she swam better. So, you know, I don't know if suiting up is the right is the right phrase so much as just being all prepared out. to swim fast at any time. And now it's we've seen like, it with Brooks Curry as well, right? Yeah. He's done fast practice times with the suit, done fast dual meet times without a suit, and <laughs> he's been rocking <laughs> rocking and rolling at championship we were, meets. Where we wear eight hundred dollar suits in practice and twenty five dollar suits in meets. <laughs> Maybe there's something to that strategy. But you know, here's the thing though. Where over the over the last six weeks, where have every swimmer in the United States been flocking to? ASU in Florida. ASU in Florida. And what do those two programs do in season? Work. Swim yeah. slow. So <laughs> be maybe none of us have any idea what we're doing and everything works. And it really is about talent after all. On the coaching side of things in college swimming, uh, Steve Youngbluth is out as the associate head coach at the University of Florida. We did not really get a straight answer on why that was. Uh, There were lots of speculation, but nothing we could publish aside from coach head coach Nesty issuing a statement saying we've parted ways. We wish Steve the best. Why is this lack of transparency a problem and how 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 can we change the fact that we're not finding out what's actually happening behind the scenes it's so frustrating because it's it's like everybody has forgotten the history of this sport you know the reason why Everett Uchiyama was able to get another job after abusing children is because Chuck Walgus wrote him a letter of recommendation and wished him well and nobody reported on the fact that he shouldn't be around children anymore. We got a lot of responses from people there like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Expose this. Expose this. No, no, I can't tell you what's happening. Just expose it. Ask the questions. Be a good journalist. Ask the questions. And everybody just put up a brick wall. Um, and it's amazing to me the, the, the lengths that people will go to to not upset somebody who is, you know, problem to different degrees in the sport, right? Um, We don't have any information that there was any kind of sexual abuse or anything along those lines. So we don't want to present that sort of a thing. But if people are not behaving the way that we expect them to in the sport, everybody needs to know that and they need to fix that. They need to, you know, in some cases, it may just be a simple matter of training and mentoring. In other cases, they need to be gone from the sport. We don't know the difference, right? We don't know if Steve Youngbluth needs to be removed from coaching or if Steve Youngbluth needs to be mentored. Um, And, you know, I've always said, if I were a college program, I would not hire a coach who had never had a job outside of swimming. Um, You know, when I worked at a grocery store, it's not that people never got upset or angry, but if my boss smashed a coffee cup on deck or was emotionally abusing people, that would have been a problem. When I worked for a big oil company, a very old school company, lots of old people running the company, lots of old fashioned people running the company, 
people got upset, but they didn't yell and scream. They didn't emotionally abuse. They didn't verbally abuse. Um, you know, there's, I just, I, it just feels like too many of our coaches have never been outside of swimming. So we continue to perpetuate some of the same behaviors that have gone on for a hundred years in the sport. You know, there's a, a life magazine article that we came across. I think it was life magazine. I don't know. Some magazine like that. Um, where a famous coach, maybe it was George Haynes would like chases swimmers around the pool deck and, and hit them with kickboards if they weren't getting in the pool long enough. And, and that was celebrated at the time. Um, and like though, you know, that led to coaches who thought that was okay. And, and maybe they toned it down a little, maybe each generation tones it down a little bit, but it's not fast enough. It's not happening fast enough. Um, there are coaches who get great results without doing that. Dave Durden is a great example, Coleman, going back to that bag. Um, Dave Durden doesn't emotionally or verbally abuse his athletes. Eddie Reese doesn't emotionally or verbally abuse his athletes. Um, you know, you, you've been on deck with all these coaches who have a way of doing it without that. Um, and I don't know how we're going to solve this problem if everybody throws up a brick wall. We contacted probably 20 people around the Florida program, and the answer was always the same. Oh, it's not that I don't want this out there. It's that I just don't think it's my place to do it. Um, and it's like what I, I'm just ready for somebody to be brave and, and get – get these problems fixed. Um, and I don't know how that's going to happen. We're, we're doing our best, but I don't know how that's going to happen. And it just turns into this vicious cycle of like, it, some stuff like this doesn't come out until it's all, it all ex has exploded and, and it's just not good. It seems like more coaches are being let go mid season, right? Coley Stickles, Steve Youngblood. There's, there's an increasing number of examples of this happening and everybody can sugarcoat it if however they want to coaches don't leave mid-season when they're happy when everybody's happy and everything's going great right that just isn't how college swimming works and you know we know some people leave on their own accord steve meller left lsu on his own accord mid-season um so it's not always that they're fired or pushed out or whatever oftentimes nobody's surprised it, it seems like the ad is always surprised to hear about these things, like right in the Terry McKeever situation. They're pretending like we we didn't know this, but then the athletes are like, "We told you this. How how could you not have known?" This just happens. It's very rare in swimming for these things to go down, and everybody's just like, "Well, that seems out of character for that person." Um, you know, our our interactions with Jeremy Kip, we had some aggressive interactions with Jeremy Kripp where Kip, where he was aggressive towards us. So like when that went down, it wasn't a great surprise. Um, we didn't really hear much about Steve Youngbluth in that's probably partially because he's an assistant coach and you, you tend to not hear as much about assistant coaches. I don't know if you heard anything Coleman and uh, you were on deck at Florida several times, um, but it just seems like, the, the whole system is broken. The, the mentorship system, the hiring system, the retention system. Did whatever problem happened with Steve Youngbluth get worse over the last 12 years? Was he this way when he was hired? Something happened that the AD didn't have a choice. Like, I just, I don't believe that all of a sudden Steve Youngbluth woke up and was verbally abusing swimmers, verbally assaulting emotionally, whatever, whatever happened there. 
Um, I just don't believe that he woke up and and that changed. So where is the breakdown in the system? It's funny how after this happens, you have everyone coming out of the woodwork saying, finally, the you know, finally something's being done. Oh, they should have asked about this 12 years ago. They should have asked about this at the other places that they were employed at. It's like, did did the current employer not do that? You know, did you know what? what's the problem here and what cog in the system is allowing this to keep happening and and people think they're being brave by saying swim swim this coach is mean to me look into it like that's not you you need to be specific you need to provide evidence any swimmer out there who thinks they are having a problem with the coach the best thing you can do is start to document it and it can be as simple as throwing up a google doc and saying on this date this is what this coach said and keeping an active record those kind of things matter in these situations. They matter from us for a journalistic, from a journalistic perspective, and it will matter to the administration. Um, if you keep those notes in real time, that's what opens these things up. But then you have to be willing to share them. Um, you can't just kind of say, "This coach is verbally abusive. I want them gone." You've got to, you've got to come with more than that. And it's not a believe the victim sort of thing. It's there has to be a fair standard for these coaches, right? Like there, ha somebody has to prove it. If you want us to report it, you've got to, you've got to be specific in what your accusations are. You got to, you got to give us more than I just want my coach fired. Because there's always somebody. There's one swimmer on every team who doesn't, who wants their coach gone, right? Um, and there's a difference between there being one swimmer on every team who wants their coach gone and a problem. We have another problem. <laughs> And that is backstroke finishes. Athena almost made a ruling about uh, fully submerging on a backstroke finish and then withdrew it because it was worded unclearly. What are we going to do about this? Is, is, I guess the question is, is there a clear solution that FINA could easily go with? Or is this just kind of a gray area? When do rules change in the, in the NFL, Coleman? This has been a hot topic over the last three weeks. What forces rules to change in the NFL? I couldn't tell you. Turn on the TV, Coleman. Uh, <laughs> rules change in the NFL when there's public outrage. The there's There were two pretty bad calls of roughing the quarterback this weekend um, where the, the rules protecting quarterbacks were taken too far. Uh, one last night, one with Tom Brady on Sunday. And the public outrage is what's going to change it. Again, with the transparency, FINA refused to show anybody videos of Justin Ress's finish. In swimming, swimmers know they can get away with it, right? Because the officials don't want to DQ them. Um, there's so many mechanisms to get them off from a DQ and so few mechanisms to disqualify them, right? You can use video review to get off of a DQ, but there are very few instances where video review can get you disqualified. Um you know, one way to solve it is with rules, and that's great. Um, but the swimmers will continue to push the rules until they're exposed. If you post a video of every questionable technique, be it breaststroke, underwater dolphin kicks, backstroke finishes, all of these things, if you start posting the videos afterwards, they'll change their behavior. I, I promise you they'll change their behavior, even if you aren't going to start DQing them. Um, you know, it will lead to more DQs because everybody will be aware of it. The officials will 
watch the prior videos and they'll know what to look for. Um, but like, I don't, I don't know that you even need to change rules to make swimmers follow them. Just expose them when they're not following the rules. I think it's that easy. Okay. Before I say anything, did I just hear Coleman Hodges video producer of swim swim is not a sports fan. That's correct. (laughs) Interesting. It's documented. Yeah. Honestly, I'm just confused as to what Fina's trying to get at with this new rule because they said it and then they were like oh the wording is confusing and we want to make sure that it can be fairly judged all all over the world and not just at the world championships where there's underwater cameras like why are you gonna bring up the underwater cameras when you're saying that the swimmers allowed to be totally submerged like why would you need cameras for that when everyone's emerged and also why are you mentioning cameras when you're not showing video review and i just don't i just don't really understand what they're trying to get at and what how they think this rule is going to be better because their initial proposal seemed pretty clear to me and i just really don't know what they're trying to do I think when you talk about rules changes and swimming, the conversation so often immediately goes to what advantage does that give? And and in sports, across all sports, almost every rule written is designed to create or eliminate some advantage for somebody, right? Like if you if you ratchet up the pass interference rules, it's to create an advantage for the offense. This is how rules in sports are written. But at some point in swimming, because of the nature of the sport, there is a right way to do things, right? This is the joke we always hear about, oh, my God, why isn't there an Olympic medal for running backwards and, and crawling and whatever? You know, why why does swimming have um, medals for doing the same thing but slower? And so at some point, we have to accept that what we are measuring is somebody doing something as fast as possible in a certain way, right? And so it's not so much about whether or not the the underwater backstroke finish gives you an advantage or not, because, you know, once you're up, I can't imagine a scenario where going back down makes you faster. Um, Obviously, some swimmers do think a submerged backstroke finish makes them faster because they keep doing it. And there was a lot of discussion about this over the summer when these uh, non-calls were being made because, a lot of coaches believe that it's slower anyway. So why are we even having this conversation? But sometimes that's like not the point, right? The point of breaststroke is to see who can swim the fastest in the style of breaststroke. So why do we have to debate whether or not doing such and such on a dolphin kick gives you an advantage or not? Um, Why do we have to debate on backstroke, whether being submerged at the finish gives you an advantage or not? Can it just be, You have to be the best at executing this skill. And we have decided arbitrarily that this skill is finishing on top of the water. It's like it's like the Lochte rule, like as in it's like you're not supposed to be kicking underwater on your back during freestyle. But like, isn't it technically called freestyle? No, but see, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. I disagree with that In, in one to one extent. I don't I don't like how tight they made that rule, right? But mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly fair to say that what we are testing on the end of an IM or the end of a medley relay 
is who is the fastest swimmer on their stomach. And I think that's a perfectly fair standard to say you can't kick halfway down the pool on your back, then flip over on your stomach. I think that's a totally fair standard, even if you're saying, well, it, you know, it doesn't give anybody an advantage. That To me, that's not the point, right? The point is to test a certain set of skills that we've decided arbitrarily. If we're deciding that the only reason we change rules in swimming is when somebody has or doesn't have an advantage, then we are basically making everything but the front crawl moot. Isn't the point of a medley to decide who is the best at butterfly, backstroke, breaststroke, and then anything else? Yeah, but it's we've decided as a sport that being on your back is only one thing, right? Like that's mm. that's one of the four things. That's one of the four arbitrary skills that we are testing. Um, realistically, they should just eliminate the term freestyle and make it the front crawl event. Like that's that's the easiest fix that they have been reluctant to do because at any serious level of swimming, it should just be the front crawl. Like there's that, no other reason to do anything other than the front crawl. That just sounds weird though. Like imagine in the Olympics and it's like, instead of the hundred freestyle, it's the hundred front crawl. Like, okay. But <laughs> that's just cause you're used to hearing freestyle. Think about saying the hundred butterfly or the hundred breaststroke. Like those are very <laughs> weird names for strokes as well. They're just names that we're used to hearing. I think they should eliminate freestyle and just have, because that, I mean, that comes would from. would make it easier. That comes from the earliest, early 20th century where the civilized Europeans swam essentially breaststroke in the events <laughs> and the native peoples of the North America taught the swimmers how to swim the front crawl and the front crawl swimmers were all winning. Um, and so they had to have, they had to figure out how to tell people you can swim any stroke you want in this. And the Europeans lost, but maintained their civility because they didn't <laughs> splash when they swam. But, but that's the the history of the etymology. But now it's, it's moot. Nobody's swimming anything faster than front crawl. All right. Well, that's, that's our news for the week. And now it's time for our favorite game, sink or swim. First up today on Sink or Swim with the aforementioned Texas departures, including Anthony Grimm. Do you think that Cal is a lock now, regardless of Hugo Gonzalez coming back or not, to win the NCAA title? I think they're a lock. I think this is going to turn into a momentum thing and Cal's going to have a lot of momentum. Texas isn't. I think that the the three big names at Texas, and maybe the four if you count uh, Danny Kruger, are going to have a great year, but I just, I think they're going to have trouble rallying the back end of their roster to make a run at Cal. So I'm calling Cal for NCAA title right now. I'm swimming that Cal is a lot as well, because I think Texas was already losing a lot from their fifth years and their seniors that left. And now that they lost a bunch of other people, it's just not faring well. And I was looking at the results from the SMU Classic and Texas 200 medley relay. It was Carson Foster, backstroke, Casper Corbo, and Cole Crane, Danny Krieger. And in this worst case scenario in which Zach Van Zandt, the rumors about him leaving are true, that's probably their fastest possible combination of a medley relay in both the 200 
and the 400. And if obviously they're going to be faster NCAAs, but if they're losing at the SMU Classic to Texas A&M in Missouri in two of these medley relays, like that's not faring very well for them in the future in championship season. I just don't really see how they can bounce back from that and regain momentum maybe in the next couple of years when they get good recruits like cooper lucas but not this year yeah i gotta swim that as well uh the cal depth just looks unmatched at this point across the board they've got top tier guys in every event they've got two to three scores in most events um at the ncaa level and texas just does not have that right now on paper so I'm swimming Cal for that lock. Next up, Michael Phelps will serve as honorary captain for Michigan football versus Penn State in this top 10 team showdown. Sink or swim, MP will lead the Wolverines to the dub this weekend. So good stat here. Uh, the last two meetings between this te- these teams have been won by the road team and uh, Penn State will be the road team this weekend in Ann Arbor, but Michigan is a huge uh, favorite in Vegas. I think the talent is just overwhelming for the Wolverines. Eric all is going to be back after missing the last three games with an injury for Michigan. I don't think it's going to be close Michigan by a touchdown. Go ahead, Coleman. Give us your opinion. (laughs) I think Michael Phelps already spoke to the team. About How many touchdowns is he going to score? Olympic Michael Phelps <laughs> yeah. is going to score three touchdowns on his own. You know, breaking Le- a world record for most LeBron, touchdowns by any swimmer. If LeBron um, already or still has eligibility at Ohio State, which we've been told he does, I don't know why Michael doesn't have eligibility at Michigan. Wait, LeBron never went to college. Yeah. I Correct. That's why he still has eligibility. Oh. <laughs> allegedly. This was a story. Again, for people who watch sports, this was a story maybe a month ago. LeBron saying he would go play wide receiver for Ohio State. If Phelps Incredible. was a football player, what position do you think he would be? I'm uh, thinking wide. I'm thinking wide. I was thinking wide no. receiver. There's no way he's fast enough to be a wide receiver. He's a tight end. I am going to swim Michigan winning as well i'm gonna be honest i don't know that much about college football i literally asked anya like 20 minutes before this podcast like is michigan gonna win this weekend i think i know a decent amount about some sports like i follow college softball i follow track but i'm not a big football person um but i'm gonna say that they're winning because they're home they're undefeated and they're ranked higher than Penn State and Phelps is going to be there and give them a hype talk and it's going to give them a lot of momentum and they're well I can say this definitively they will get at least silver in this weekend's game (laughs) (laughs) yuck 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 speaking of silver great one Braden (laughs) Huang Sun Wu world's silver medalist in the 200 meter freestyle dropped a sizzling 144.67 200 meter free just this past week uh do you see him joining the elite company of the 143 200 meter freestyle at some point in 2022-23 season yes because again we we've talked about this on this podcast before 
the 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 dam has been waiting to break open and david popovich has done it you know we were we were already well into the 143s a dozen years ago and the fact that it's taken this long for us to get back to that territory somebody needs to study this like where's the councilman center i need them to study this and tell us why it's taken so long for 143s to become become cool again it was a uh, curse there was let's, a magical yeah, curse. Perfect. Um, so let's make the 200 free great again. I think it takes a 144-1 to metal. And I think Wang Sunwoo easily goes 143. MAGA, make the 200 free great again. That's not that's not the right acronym. But <laughs> anyways, um, <laughs> I think make M2GA. That's what it is. Um. I am going to swim him breaking 144. I think he's still learning how to swim the race. And we saw how he changed his pacing from the Olympics to Worlds. And it's going really well for him. And, like, come on. Like, he's going 144 low. 144 mid, 144 low at age 18. And I think he has a really high ceiling and i can definitely see him getting down and breaking that barrier sank we saw yannick go 143 in 2012 and no look one how that turned out for him no one yeah. even came close no one else was in the same ballpark we saw david popovich go 142 9 no one's going to get close i think Huang sun wu goes the best time this year his best time is 144.4. I don't think he goes 143. I think Pop remains the undisputed king and just dominates again at Worlds in 23. What's it like to be wrong all the time, Coleman? <laughs> I don't know. We'll find out in 10 months. Clip this. Save it for later. We'll do a, a ice-cold takes edition of the Swim Swim Breakdown. Re- re- receipt returns. Swim Swim Breakdown edition. Honestly, we need to start posting more ice cold takes on Swim Swim. Like just going back through old comments, screenshotting them, posting them a year later just to expose just how wrong so they many. are. There's so many ice cold I know. takes. So many bad takes. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the Swim Swim Breakdown. Tune in every week to the Swim Swim Breakdown for your week's news in swimming.